0: Welcome to episode 13 of Happy Hour. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name is Jess Brohard, and as a profession, I'm an esports event host and a Twitch partner. And then in my personal life, I'm a recovering alcoholic with anxiety and depression. So here on Happy Hour, I interview my peers from the gaming and esports industry to hear their story of how they got into their career, what tips they have for you guys looking to get into gaming and esports, and then also how they manage their mental health. So this episode I got to interview Ryan Wyatt, who you probably better know as FWIZ. He is the head of gaming at YouTube, but he's worn a lot of hats in his career, he's worked for Machinima, he got his start on the talent side of things, commentating MLG events back in the day, and he also hails from the great state of Ohio. Now, even though he no longer lives here in the Buckeye State anymore, we won't hold that against him. His episode is so, so good, he just drops so much knowledge about how to get into this industry and how to be successful here. So if you have any friends who are looking to get into gaming and esports, please do them a favor and share this episode with them. And one quick note before we begin, so unfortunately, the day that Ryan and I recorded this podcast, I was having a ton of microphone issues, so my mic sounds like hot garbage, I super apologize, your ears might bleed a little bit while you're listening, uh, but as you can hear, we've since fixed those issues, but, uh, you know, as they say in every industry, shit happens.
1: We're good. All right, let's do it. Hi, Jess. How have you been? Hi, I'm good. How have you been? I'm doing well. Just busy.
0: Yes, same. Um, I also have to start off by saying OH! H.
1: I-O. I Yes! I love that. Yes.
0: Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, yeah, this is going to be super casual, very kind of conversational style. You know, I just right. want the um, topics to Candice and Talia, and we're definitely not going to get through all of that because the way I like to do it is I'm going to kind of ask you a question and then we'll see where the conversation evolves from there. So I am going to do a um, kind of intro for you in post, you know, talking about like, oh, here's the things that, you know, Fouz and I discussed and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if you'd like, do you want to go ahead and kind of do your short little 30 second elevator pitch for our viewers? Tell them about what you're about.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, my name is Ryan Wyatt, uh, also known as FWIZ, right? We we go by gamer tags in this industry. And I'm the uh, head of gaming at YouTube. So I run our um, gaming business at YouTube and I've been doing that the last six years. Um, my, I've worked at MLG, Machinima. I commentated Call of Duty for eight years. So... I've played a lot of different roles in the industry, but um, this is what I'm doing today.
0: And that's a very, very cool thing you're doing. And so this podcast is primarily about you. So I'm not going to like ask you things like, oh, you know, why should why should people why should content creators stream on YouTube gaming instead of on all the other platforms or anything like that? Like you can feel free to plug your shit if you want to. But primarily, it's kind of about like you and your your path. So, um, you know, you've you've worn a ton of different hats in gaming and esports. But how did you get started on this career path with YouTube?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So basically I'd kind of, uh, when I, when I first came out of college, I started working, um, and while during college was working with major league gaming and was refing events, was commentating online tournaments, was running our online tournament team of a bunch of contractors, kind of making sure that we ran tournaments smoothly, that we had events going in between our big lands, went to machinima, um, moved out to Los Angeles, spent, you know, four or five years there really got to understand YouTube, you know, at Machinima. I mean, that's really where like gaming started to, to, to really, you know, go on the rise on YouTube as a, as a vertical and then went back to major league gaming for a short stint before getting recruited by YouTube six years ago. They recruited me because they didn't have a gaming team. They didn't have a gaming vertical and they were really focused on getting into the space and and better understanding it. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, leading up to YouTube, I kind of was doing both two things in parallel i was on the content creator side so i was commentating events i was streaming on twitch and justin tv i was uploading youtube videos but i was also working like a full-time business job i'm putting that in quotations at mlg and machinima so i had a proper nine to five in the gaming industry but also in parallel was doing a lot of the you know personality talent driven things because One, it was, it was, it was money and I didn't have really much of it, but two, I also didn't, um, I loved both of them and I was really struggling to figure out which path I wanted to ultimately take. And so I was doing both.
0: So now that you're on the business side of things, even though you've done the talent side of things, like, do you think that really helped, um, make you better at your current role? Because you know, sort of what it's like to be talent and like what these people need from a platform.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. I feel like even today, even though I haven't been a creator in some time, I always by default take the creator's position in meeting rooms and decision-making and everything. I mean, I, I just like, that's just naturally where I default to. Cause I'm like, I know what it's like to be a creator. I know what it's like to be a streamer. I know what it's like to stream on other platforms, what it's like to create on YouTube, the challenges and opportunities that come with them. So I absolutely think that, um, wearing the different hats that I did leading up to this role has made me substantially better at doing my job.
0: That definitely makes sense. Um, So you've, you know, now that you're here at YouTube Gaming, you've been around the industry for like, uh, over 10 years, probably. Um, What do you think are some of the biggest changes you've noticed, not only within your own kind of personal journey, but within the landscape of esports and gaming overall?
1: Yeah. I mean, so when I started at MLG and doing things, it was like 2008, right? So like 12, 13 years ago, and it was so unrefined, right? Um, We were in ballrooms of hotels, you know, and people were paying to play in open bracket tournaments. And, you know, you barely had anybody watching these streams, you know, whether they were being Mm -hmm. pushed on MLG's proprietary platform or Justin TV or Twitch. And so what I've seen, um, particularly over the last, like, 10 years is how much opportunity has been created for people in this industry that want to do so many different things whether you're starting a production company whether you're a tournament organizer whether you're a host whether you're a commentator whether you're a live streamer or somebody that uploads the gaming industry has continued to grow astronomically and because of that it has created so many opportunities for people and so sometimes I'll talk to to younger people that are wanting to get in it and they might be like slightly disheartened. And think you know, it's it's is challenging, right? It's not an in- yeah. easy industry to get into, but I would say don't be discouraged because the growth rate of the industry means opportunities are going to constantly be created. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, kind of keep fighting the good fight. So just seeing the 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 growth rate of jobs in parallel to the growth of the industry has been really exciting. And particularly, you know, if you wanted to work in the gaming industry 15 years ago, you had to make games or work for a company that makes games, right? Whether you run the finance, marketing, comms development team, whatever it was, you had to work at a publisher, right? So being able to have your own self-sustaining business because you're streaming on Twitch or streaming on YouTube or you're uploading gameplay content on YouTube, I mean, it's pretty remarkable what has been able um, to happen over the last decade.
0: Yeah, it's actually insane just how there are so many different positions within the game industry that just did not exist 10 years ago. And so it's really cool. Like I kind of think that, like you said, if you want to work in the game industry now, there's just so many more opportunities than we had before. Like I've done a ton of things in my career that I just didn't even know like existed. So, which for me has helped me relax a lot in terms of like, all right, what's my five year plan? Well, who knows? You know, in five years, I could be doing something at a company that doesn't even exist now. So, with that said, there, there have been so many, there have been so many changes um do you have any predictions as to like where gaming is going next what kind of trends we're going to see next
1: yeah you know i i i unfortunately enough at, at youtube i have this global my role is global and so i have a, a global perspective and get to see kind of really interesting insights the one that's been um most interesting to me and it's probably not applicable if you're a creator in the united states right now but is mobile gaming so I look back like three or four years ago on YouTube, and the only mobile game in our top 10 watched games on the platform was um, Clash Royale, and then previously before that was Clash of Clans, right? So it was very rare to see mobile games in the top categories. Now today, when you look, it's like five of our top 10 games are mobile games. So you have, you know, Green of Free Fire and Arena of Valor and PUBG Mobile and so forth, right? And because this is happening in Southeast Asia, India, Latin America where console and PC penetration rate isn't incredibly high, so people's default gaming device is actually on their phones, which is a really foreign concept for, you know, gamers in the, you know, the US or in Europe where they are, you know, defaulting to a console or a PC. But what's happening is internet connectivity is getting better globally, particularly in these regions, and hardware and phones are getting more sophisticated. So inherently the games that are being developed on those uh, platforms are getting better right so you're seeing the rise of mobile gaming and and truth be told just like looking back at some of the biggest esports events this last year um they're e- they're mobile gaming events which i think shocks people yeah. you know um to see mobile gaming concurrency um viewership far surpass a lot of the esports that we know to be like tier one right so yeah. uh for example like counter-strike right like that's a very foreign thought to see garena free fire a mobile battle royale game surpass counter-strike esl <laughs> you know like championship matches right so i think mobile gaming's on the rise that's good for the industry because what's going to ultimately happen is we're going to keep adding gamers to um to the pot right so like gaming keeps getting bigger it keeps kind of doubling every two or three years on size of uh, both people watching and playing and so the more the merrier right i think that opens up a lot of opportunities and we'll have like tangential benefits to even non-mobile gamers
0: yeah well because it's, it's more would you say it's, it's a lot more accessible mobile gaming than you know because you don't necessarily it seems like every day you're, these days everybody has a phone whereas not necessarily everybody has like a console or a pc
1: Correct. Yeah, I think the accessibility is 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 obviously a big part of it. I think you'll see cross-platforms uh, uh, happen. I think you'll see more traditional um, game publishers start to push out mobile versions of games. Like look at, uh, you know, Call of Duty Mobile is a great example yeah. of that. Um, PUBG, right? PC went to console, then did a mobile version. And so, you, you know, you, you have Fortnite that's cross-platform, Minecraft that's cross-platform. So I think you're just going to see development on the platforms of for mobile gaming. And, and to your point, accessibility right we you know i think every you know we want to encourage as many people to be gamers as possible we want to welcome as many people into the industry as possible um and i think it's really fun to see this you know new uh, newfound growth in this industry
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right and it is a little surprising but it you know when you break it down like that it completely makes sense um let's go ahead and switch and talk a little bit about mental health and such so Uh, I would imagine that you have a very kind of high pressure uh, job. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, (laughs) it's enjoyable. But yeah, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations that come with it, um, both internally and externally. So, yes,
0: I can imagine that. Um, How do you are you one of those people because i know some people actually do work better under pressure you know when they have deadlines or when they have expectations but other people it stresses them out like what's your kind of relationship with that pressure
1: it's a little bit of both you know as i've gotten um older and in the role longer um i've done a lot better of you know checking it at the door right i think in my first couple of years at youtube it was a really big role that i don't know that i was entirely ready for i think i was the right person for the role but i was you know, i i I was I joined as the head of gaming at twenty seven years old at YouTube. And so, um there's just was a lot that i there was a lot of skills that I hadn't developed, and I was, you know, really unrefined. And so, what came with that was, you know, a lot of gaming knowledge and being able to, you know, take the creator's POV and and some of those things that we talked about earlier, but it it came with a lot of stress because I had a little bit of like self doubt. You know, like, am I really ready for this role? Am I ready to take on this challenge? You know, um, there uh, it was tough. But what has happened over the last couple of years, you know, last three years particularly, I've I've gotten really confident myself, confident in the team, try to stay very even keel. You know, Um, you really can't let wins go to your head. You can't let losses kind of go to your heart, I think is always a good saying that I try to live by. And so I believe in what we're doing. I believe in our long-term success. I believe in the team that's helping build these things and do these things. And when you start to just center yourself in that, it takes away a lot of the pressure, a lot of the anxiety, and a lot of the stress.
0: This episode is brought to you by Cap10 Hats, high quality dad hats that donate 10% of their profits to ocean cleaning efforts. And now, as we're heading into the colder months, Cap10 is introducing new beanies in three colors to keep you warm for the winter. And as a thank you to Happy Hour listeners, you can use code HAPPY for 15% off. Go to cap10hats.ca, that's C A P T E N hats.ca, and use code HAPPY. H-A-P-P-I for 15% off your order. Once again, cap10hats.ca and use code HAPPY for 15% off. Join the movement and help save our oceans. So how did you really kind of build that confidence? Because I know you said, you know, when you you focus on, I know what we're doing here, I believe in what we're doing here. Um, But, you know, to me, that doesn't really take into account uh, your own personal, like, role and like, you know, because you mentioned you almost didn't even feel ready when you when you first started working at YouTube. So how did you build that confidence and go, okay, like, this is a great team that I'm joining. So how do I, you know, make myself believe that I belong on this team?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's stringing together wins, whether they're seen publicly or not, right. So I think what started to change was, we, we got some wins, right, whether it was executive buy in, whether it was growing the business, whether it was, launching products that excited creators um whatever it was in whatever capacity whether a big or a small win they they just start to um collectively accumulate where you really start to like it builds that momentum and that belief so you got to get some things on the board where you know you can demonstrate that you can do it your team demonstrates that they can do it you demonstrate publicly that you can do it. And that is a snowball effect in a very positive way, right? So as we started to get little wins and chip away at it over the years, and we started to build a lot of faith in the creator community and the user community that like, look, we have this great platform. We care about the creators. We wanna make sure that publishers succeed. We wanna make sure that people can monetize, that they can use different tool sets on the platform. All of these things, like you you start to string together a couple of these hits. And you start to feel and get the you know, uh, encouragement that you can do this, that you are the right person for the role, that you do have the right team in place, that they're great, that you believe in them. And so it takes, like, you know, very truth be told, it takes, it takes time um, and it takes some wins to, to be able to build up that confidence.
0: Do you still ever one thing I always like to ask my guests about is imposter syndrome, um, which I'm sure you've heard of and you kind of described it yes. earlier, which is, yeah, you know, where you you sort of feel like, oh, I'm not qualified to do this or I don't belong here. So even though you've been doing this for so long, you strung together so many of those wins. Do you even today ever experience that feeling of imposter syndrome?
1: Uh, so when I started, i would I actually spoke to um many people close to me about this. i d- I definitely had imposter syndrome when I started. Uh, you know, my peers outside of gaming that I work with at YouTube are, you know, uh, all Ivy League NBAs. um, you know, and so I Very definitely came in and I, and I'm not an Ivy League NBA. Um, and so when I came in, I definitely um I definitely had imposter syndrome, and it was something I struggled with. you know, i I, I think I over um, compensated by like a fake level of confidence too. That could be borderline arrogance as a way to like make up for the fact that internally I I most certainly felt um, that I might not be the right person or ready for this role. And nowadays I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm like overly confident. I don't think there is anybody that could do what I do better than me. I think there's a lot of people that could replace me and do the job, but I feel very confident that I'm like the best person for what I do in the role that I'm in
0: that's fantastic. I very much admire that confidence. And I mean, it's kind of uh, like fake it till you make it is the saying. And like, that absolutely works like that totally because like with my career, I had no idea what I was doing at first. And I just kind of like did things. And then when something worked, I would do more of it. And everything else I just kind of felt like, I was like, I don't know how people do this. So I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to fake it. I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing. And yep. it actually worked somehow.
1: <laughs> no, you and me both. I think I think my I think mine was very, very similar path, you know, Um, because like inside you're like, I can do this. But there's a lot of feelings where you're like, uh, how do I get there, you know, and how do I connect the dots to get there? And uh, yeah, you yeah, just, you know, my my favorite saying, too, is a uh, j- jump in the net will appear, you know, so you just kind of have to go out there and do it uh, and see what happens.
0: Yeah, that's a lesson that I've learned over and over again, which is really, really scary. But, uh, you know, and for me, it took a lot of practice to sort of like like let go like that. But, yep. um, you know, but realistically, that's almost like every single aspect of my life, like anything that I do that I'm like, when I stop worrying about it and I just kind of let go and sort of trust the process, like that's when things start to fall into place. So that's kind of amazing. Um, do you have anything you currently do to manage your mental health, such as like exercise, yoga, meditation, um, you know, anything like that?
1: I do a handful of things to, um, make sure that my life isn't just about games and my job. Right. So, I get up, I try to, you know, it's a little bit less now that I have a baby that's four 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 and a half months old. Maybe we can talk we'll about that later. But today, yeah. yeah, thanks so much. He's awesome. I'm loving being a dad. But I, I try to get up early so that I can do the Peloton, make breakfast, and then be ready to roll when he gets up. That's helpful just to have time for my day, right? So just to give me time um, so that I can do what I need to do. Give me time to spend time with my son, with my wife before we kick off the day, right? Because then it's just back-to-back meetings from 8.30 to 5.30, and I'm just like, I'm just running, you know, rounds. And then I cook a lot, which is one of my favorite hobbies, right, so I really, really like cooking. It's a great thing for me to, especially at the end of a work day, because I feel like I totally mentally disconnect, and it taps into a creative part that I don't really get to exercise all the time on a day-to-day doing what I do from a work perspective, which a lot of it is, operational logistics driven and and doesn't really tap into the creative part of my mind too often. And so this allows me to do that. And it's one of my favorite hobbies that I have. Um, I don't take any cooking classes. I don't do any lessons. It's like my thing of like, how do I improve? How do I continue to get better at it? And so I love doing that. Um, and then I, I picked up golfing because about a, about a year and a half ago, I picked up golfing because I recognized that I needed some kind of, outdoor hobby you know and i wasn't really into you know even though i was doing the peloton i didn't really want to do biking and so i was trying to figure out like what can what can i do outdoors that i will you know be able to enjoy the outdoors and disconnect a little bit and you know you know my wife and i will go hiking and stuff and that's fun but i needed i needed something to do and so i picked up golfing and that's been fun kind of the same reasons for cooking where it's a fun hobby i'm not that great at it but i see myself getting better and i'm very motivated by getting better at it and so you know, all of these things allow me to completely untether from my job and what the day-to-day is and what are my concerns with work and so forth. And so it's the right, I I finally like feel that I've achieved the right balance of, you know, work and, um, you know, life outside of it.
0: That's good. That sounds like you have a really healthy work-life balance. And, but the other thing is it also sounds like you're very busy and something I've noticed in myself. And I think this is kind of like a common knowledge thing or like a saying, but like the more productive you are, the more productive you are. I don't think that's like exactly how the saying goes, but there's something like that, which basically means like, if you're lazy and you sit around all day, like you're just not motivated, you don't feel the drive to get anything done. And then like, once you start doing one thing and sort of getting that motivation, it just snowballs from there. But for you, like, did you ever struggle with, you know, motivation or just kind of like getting started
1: so it's a it's a fantastic question. A lot to unpack there for me. So I um I have noticed in myself a couple of things over the years. One, if I don't have a passion for something, I'm a ter- I'm like terrible, right? So I I am not um I was not a fantastic student. I did well because I could get by by doing little, but I didn't enjoy being a student in a lot of different subject areas because I just had no passion and general interest. And so I am very thankful that I found a job in the gaming industry because I could only operate at a hundred percent if I was passionate about gaming and because I'm so passionate, I love to be productive in it because I feel very fortunate to have any job in this industry. And so I don't take that for granted. And so even going back to just even when, you know, Machinima and MLG days where I was able to kind of do talent and work and I was just so, you know, so busy, but so excited that I was fortunate enough to be busy in an area that I'm passionate. So. I have noticed over the years that if, if I, um, don't have a love for it, I am, um, I really underperform. I think it, you know, it can create anxiety, depression, a lot of these things for me, if I'm not in that area of passion. And so that's, what's made the difference for me. I do agree. You know, you, you have to almost make yourself productive, right? Cause you want to start, you know, building that momentum and moving in the right direction. Um, I think, you know, if you find yourself not doing stuff and idling or you're too alone with your thoughts, um, you can create self-doubt. You know, and I'm only speaking from my own experience, not in general. Um, so this is, th- these have been, you know, busy work, keeping myself busy has always been really helpful and keeping myself structured. I mean, I have um, ADHD and I've noticed when I don't have a structured environment, as in this is what I'm doing at this time. And this is what my days look like. Here's what my evenings look like. If I don't have like an incredible amount of structure in my life, I go off the rails. So um, and by that, I mean, just like losing focus, not prioritizing the things in life that matter and so forth. And so I have seeked out, you know, making sure that I have a tremendous amount of structure in my life, which I do now. Uh, but these are the things that I've had to learn over the last, you know, 10 years about myself um, and that have come out. These
0: are really, really helpful though. I think that like a lot of people can really resonate with needing that structure um, and not necessarily knowing how to get it. So I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. And I'm the exact same way with regards to if I'm not passionate about something, like I'm just, there's no way to get me to do it. Like I'll I'll do it, but I'm going to do a bad job. And I just can't like, I can't care about things. And like, I can't get, I can't get motivated to care about things unless I'm already like passionate about them. So You you probably are like me in that I kind of knew from a young age what I wanted to do, like not the specifics, but, you know, I was just a big gamer growing up from the minute I could walk. And so then, you know, as that turned into like, okay, well, when you grow up, you're going to need to have to find a a way to pay the bills. That for me was, well, I want to work in gaming. I want to, I have to make money doing something I'm passionate about. Were you the same way that from an early age, you knew you wanted to work in gaming and it was pretty easy for you to find your, like your passion
1: so, not at a young age in college, you know, I was playing Call of Duty competitively on game battles and, and you know, was also really into Counter Strike competitively uh, back in the like Cal days, you know, when I was in high school, uh, early freshman year, like 12, 13, 14 years old, whatever that Team Fortress Classic and Counter Strike 1 6. And so, I always, I had always loved video games my whole life. Like I, when I started playing at three, I have never stopped playing and I'm 34 now. Right. So 31 years of playing video games at this point, um, really where it kicked in for me was in college where I said, you know, I, I gotta start thinking about what the hell am I doing after college? Right. And, and I, you know, was, was adamant that I had to work in the games industry And I didn't care. It was zero to do with money. And I didn't think of games as a, even a path that would be even any kind of lucrative career or anything. I just knew I'm like, man, if I got to go out of college where it's so much fun and I got to go work now, this nine to five job, it's gotta be something that's fun. And I love the games industry. And so I just relentlessly pursued that. And that's where I started to do volunteer work for MLG. Um, basically Jess, I was answering tournament tickets. Like people would dispute, matches, they would submit proof, I would go in as an admin and 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 handle the dispute, right? Look at the proof, make a decision on the match outcome. And that's kind of how I started getting in, um, you know, my first foot in the door into the industry.
0: Mm-hmm. was that um a was that a pretty kind of low man on the code sort of like entry level position like sort of anyone you know anyone could could get that kind of job and then it was up to you to like prove yourself and work really hard and stand out and make an impression
1: yeah i think that's right i mean look i tried really hard with um making sure that like sundance who's the the founder and ceo of mlg noticed me and so i started with uh volunteering what that ended up what i parlayed that into was they posted in the game battles forums of saying, Hey, we have these, um, we need refs at the MLG Columbus event. So I think this is like, I want to say 2008, 2007, something like that. And, and they said we need these volunteers that are local in the area to come out and, and, and pay, pay, you know, pay a gig to like ref the tournament stations at an MLG Columbus event. And I jumped on that. I was able to say, look, like I have been doing this, um, you know, this admin work with Game Battles as a volunteer. I go to Ohio State. I'd love to be able to come down for the weekend and ref the events. And once I did that, you know, and I I didn't get paid like I didn't get paid shit for that event. But I my eyes, you know, like opened up so big when I walked into that venue at MLG with my MLG golf shirt on ready to, you know, ref some tournament stations for 15 hours a day. And it was awesome like i fell in love with mlg i fell in love with esports in a whole different way i fell in love with the gaming industry and was just like this is it this is it you know this is what i i mean i gotta do this and so that's how it started
0: all right well that is all i have for you thank you so so much like this is honestly going to be an amazing episode that i cannot wait to put out um probably gonna i can i probably am going to upload it next Wednesday. So a week from tomorrow, small chance I'll like hustle and get it up tomorrow, but probably a week from tomorrow. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh
1: my gosh, Jess. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Keep doing great things in the industry and let me know if I can ever help with anything.
0: Thank you so much. And then same to you.
1: Awesome. Take mm-hmm. care. Have a good rest of the day.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye Bye. So Fwiz is a super busy guy, as you can probably imagine. So we didn't have a ton of time to talk, but we did get into some really good content in the bonus section of questions, which we have not released yet. So if you really want to hear even more tips from Fwiz, the bonus content for this episode and for every episode is coming soon. Now, we're not ready to launch it just yet, but if you go to our website at happyhour.io, That's H-A-P-P-I-H-O-U-R dot I-O and go to the membership section. You can enter your email to get notified when that bonus content launches. Other than that, I'm always open to feedback. So hit me up on social media at Jess Brohard. And remember, it really helps us out if you rate or follow the podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And don't miss out on next week's episode where I talk to Lottie Von Prague, the desk host of CDL's inaugural year and an all around amazing human being. So I'll catch you then.